Well, back in 2011, um, in Stone, uh, a man accidentally started a bushfire from the sparks of his angle grinder, uh, resulting in 71 homes being burned down, 39 damage, uh, 440 hectares of bush burned, and about 12 people hospitalized. Uh, the worst fire, single fire that would be, uh, in Australian history would be in 2009, the Black Saturday fires in Victoria, uh, resulting in 173 fatalities, 414 injured, 2,029 homes burned down, and 450,000 hectares of bushland burned. Fire is a, is a major threat to life and home, field and farm, and animal and bushland in Australia. However, there are far, fires far, of far greater destructive impact started every day, some deliberately, some inadvertently, uh, that uh, largely go unreported. Uh, and which are impossible to control. Uh, these are, of course, the fires start by the tongue, the words of man. Uh, many lives have been torched by the tongue. Uh, it is uncontainable, untamable, and undeniably devastating. Uh, James 3 verse 5 and following tells us, the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest it set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defi defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And with it we bless the Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Now we are in Matthew 12, a pivotal chapter in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the first 10 chapters, we saw Jesus being presented as the King. Uh, chapter 11, we started seeing opposition to Him as King. And chapter 12, where we're at, uh, we saw the official rejection of Jesus by the religious leaders. The tongues of these leaders were set on fire by hell itself, blaspheming the Holy Spirit and attributing the power of Jesus in his miracles uh, to that of Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And so they denounced and defamed Jesus as king, and they have really denied him as being from God, claiming that he really is from Satan. And that is an unforgivable sin we saw last week. Now we find ourselves this morning in chapter 12, verse 33 through to 37, where Jesus the King counsels his followers and those who were in his audience uh, about the Pharisees and their words. 
these blasphemous words spoken against the Spirit and against Jesus as King. And, and Jesus was essentially saying that words reveal character, words expose heart, words justify and words condemn. And the Pharisees, while seeking to discredit Jesus and defame him uh, as an agent of Satan, through their words exposed themselves to be really children of the devil themselves. And so we are here in chapter 12, verse 33, if you can turn there. And really we see the counsel of the king and also his caution regarding our words. And he uses three word pictures uh, to counsel us and a word of warning to caution us. And so let us read chapter 12, verse 33 through to 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasure, what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure, what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let me pray. Father, we need your mercy and your help this morning. We thank you for the ministry of your word and the ministry of your spirit, applying it to our lives. Father, I pray that you would... Uh, Sow your seed in the hearts that you have prepared, hearts to receive the life-giving word. Lord, the life-giving word which often convicts us, for we have strayed from your truth and from your ways. But Lord, also it comforts us, showing us the way back and assuring us of your forgiveness and your love when we confess our wrongdoing. And so, Lord, as we hear these challenging words this morning, may you minister us both through conviction and comfort, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here we see the, the king's counsel um, through three word pictures. Um, these Word pictures or words really we see are, are witnesses to who we are, uh, to our character, to our, our heart, that which we hold dear. And we see these three pictures really. He used a, a batch of fruit, uh, the brood of vipers, and, and a bag of treasure. And so we'll look at each one and, and what Jesus uh, means by these word pictures. He says there in verse 33 make the tree good and its fruit will be good, and make it, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. The tree is known by its fruit. And it was quite a well-known picture, of course, taken from everyday life, uh, affirming that a man's character uh, really uh, is seen or discerned by the deeds of man, the fruit that you bear in your life. Well, that which you value, that's what your goals are, would become manifest for all to see uh, at some stage. Um, and so John the Baptist used this word picture during his preaching of repentance 
uh, in preparation for the king to come. In Matthew 3.8, he, he sort of called those um, who came to be baptized that they should uh, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, that is, of course, repentance involves more than just a change of mind. It means a change of, of heart, a change of will, where I was going one direction and now I'm turning around going the, another. And that change should manifest itself. The fruit of repentance would manifest instead of me pursuing sin, now I am pursuing Christ and His righteousness. A few verses later, he warned his audience in chapter 3, verse 10, that the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And basically what John was saying, that the fruit of your life determined, really, whether you are good or bad, and whether you will be cut down in the day of judgment, or that you will be pruned for greater fruitfulness in this life. Uh, Jesus used this, this um, word picture before in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where he warned against um, false teachers, the wolves that wear sheep's clothing, the woolly wolves. Uh, they look the part, they smell the part, they even sound the part, but ultimately the fruit of their lives, their desires, their goals, uh, the things that they love will make themselves evident to be wolves instead of sheep. It will become clear that they are not sheep shepherds, but sheep slayers. Because wolves don't like to graze on grass. They like to gorge on sheep. They will mislead and abuse the flock for personal gain. And so Jesus said, You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And so the king's counsel is uh, to know if a tree is good or bad is look at the fruit. Uh, taste the fruit. Examine the fruit. Test the fruit. Um, now, in our context of our passage this morning, Jesus just healed a man. He delivered a man from demon possession and through it healed him from muteness and, and, uh, and blindness. And uh, that is good fruit, right? That, that's, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, Jesus was doing a good thing. And even the Pharisees agreed that that would be good. However, they immediately turned around and then said that the, the tree from which these good fruits are coming from is a bad tree. He's, 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 not, from, he's not from God. He's from, he's from Satan. He's from the devil. And Jesus points out that that's impossible. That is not how nature works. We, we all know that from, from nature that we, we, can't, we can't get bad fruit from a, from a good tree. And so they were defaming the king. They were actually displaying their fruit in their accusation, their blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, calling good evil. They were the ones who were truly rotten to the core. They were the ones who were uh, bearing rotten fruit. And of course, so the first lesson that Jesus shows is that if you want to know someone, if you want to know their heart, their lives, Look at the fruit that they produce. 
And then he goes on and he addresses the Pharisees directly. He says, brood of vipers, really hatchlings of adders, sons of serpents, or probably better, sons of the serpent. Sons of the devil who desires to be like their father. And Jesus taught in John 8, 44 that the devil is a murderer and a liar. From the beginning, he's the father of lies, and whoever, and whenever he speaks, he lies. And when he lies, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And no greater lie has ever been told than what the Pharisees did in attributing the the the, the power through whom Jesus or through yeah through whom Jesus uh, performed his miracles, attribute that to Satan. To be eligible. That is a blatant lie. And in doing so, they were committing the unforgivable sin. Their fruits really revealed their true nature and it proved them to be rotten to the core. And like their father, the devil, they were mere pretenders. They pretended to be godly. They were, in fact, false teachers, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as sheep when they are, in fact, wolves. They were like Satan who disguises himself as an angel of light, so his servants will disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, as 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen tells us. And so the Pharisees professed to know God, but... By their deeds, by their words, they deny him. And so Jesus judged them to be evil, since they were evil, sons of the serpent. And one should not expect to hear anything, to see any good fruit from their lives. Their words reflected their nature. Because Jesus in verse 34 says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And the Bible is just replete of examples, or with examples, examples upon examples of this principle, that what fills the heart flows from the mouth. What drenches the heart drips from the lips. And we know that from ordinary life. I mean, just, just listen to one another. Uh, and you will find out where someone's passion is. Uh, someone may be a passionate foodie uh, supporter. How do I know? Well, he tells me all the time. Um, even the bad teams that they support. Uh, or they may be, may be uh, uh, really supporting or, or love Food. They are a real foodie or a coffee connoisseur. How do we know? Because they can't stop talking about it. Um, so what, we, what comes out of our mouth is really what is in our heart, what we're most passionate about. And so then the question is, is what is in our heart? Because the truth is, from what Jesus is saying, that people don't speak out of character. We speak from what is inside of us. And so if it is angry words, if it is abusive words, if it is unwholesome words, then 
it's a good thing that there may be murder in the heart. And when it's sensual words, seductive words, then lust resides in the heart. When words are boastful or arrogant, defiant, then pride resides in the heart. And when words are false, blatantly true or masked by exaggeration or depreciation of, 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 of the facts, then deceit and hypocrisy is, fills the heart. Words that deny Christ or speak against the word of God, unbelief resides in the heart. And so what fills the heart flows onto the mouth. What drenches the heart drips from the lips. And Jesus explains that what we treasure, what we harbor in our hearts, that is the treasure that we keep, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Our hearts really is a bag of treasure. And each of, one, each of us fills it with what we treasure. And that may be good or evil. Which brings us to this picture of the, of the treasure in the heart, the bag of treasure. Uh, each person's heart is a bag of treasure containing what we esteem, what we hold dear, what we love, what we're passionate about. And what a man brings out of his bag of treasure is really the good or the bad that he carries in it. And so Jesus was counseling his followers that the good man will produce what he values because it comes out of his inner being. This is who he is. And likewise, the evil man, the evil that he speaks, the evil that comes out of him is, is really what is going on in his heart. And so what is in your bag of treasure? What is in my bag? Jesus said there are two kinds of treasures. There are good treasure and there, is, there are bad treasures. And so good treasures would be, man, I, I, was, go, I was starting and I was just going to do one or two, but then it, I had to stop myself because there are a lot of what Scripture would term good treasure for us to treasure in our heart. The things pertaining Christ. Uh, I was just uh, reminded of Mary when, he, when she heard the, the shepherds reporting what they have seen in the field, the angels saying that there is a Savior born today who is Christ the Lord. And we read that, uh, that, that Mary treasured all the things that were spoken by uh, the, the shepherds. And then later on when, when Jesus sort of stayed behind in Jerusalem, was lost, and they actually found him in the, in the temple. Um, he again said that he, didn't they know that he should be about the, his father's business in the temple? And again, we read that Mary treasured those things in her heart. And so knowing Christ should be, that privilege is what we should treasure in our hearts. That, that's what Paul said when he says he counts all things lost. For the sake of knowing Christ. That was his treasure. He, wanted, he would give, he would sell everything in order to gain that. 
to, to be close to Christ, to know Him um, in a very intimate way. Of course, we can fill our heart with the gospel. In fact, the gospel is placed into our hearts. Ephesians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us that God said that light shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in us, broken, marred clay pots. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. First Peter 2, 7 says we should treasure our salvation. He says, this precious value then is for those who believed. That is those who have received Christ um, as their cornerstone, as their rock on which they build their lives. We should treasure the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, we'll see in the, in the, in the following chapter, is, is, is described as, as really a great treasure or a, a, a pearl of great value for which we should be willing to forsake and sell everything to gain that. And, and the, 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 the thrust of that parable is, is that it is incredibly valuable. And so if, if the kingdom of heaven is your, is your treasure in your heart, that is what you will think about, that is what you will Speak about, talk about. The treasure of the Word of God. Job 23.12 says, I have not departed from the command of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. Is that you? Is that me? That we yearn for the Word of God more than for our sustenance, daily sustenance. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, For your word I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. Psalm 19 is a wonderful example of the, of the value of the word. Verse 7 reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord is right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned in keeping them. There is great reward. What comes out of your mouth? Do we speak bibline? The biblical language. Do we treasure that in our heart? Of course, there is. We can treasure the wisdom of God and the fear of God in our hearts. We can. We should treasure the love of Christ for us in our hearts. Second Corinthians five fourteen says, "For the love of Christ controls us." Having concluded this, and this is not our love for Him, it is His love for us that controls us. That one died for all, therefore all died, and He died for all, so that. They who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Do we treasure the bride of Christ? Do we love the bride of Christ? And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Christ loves His bride. He loves His church. Do we share that? 
Is that our passion? Others. And, do, uh, and, and, and does our love manifest itself in the way that we speak? 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Not boastful. Not arrogant. Does not act rudely. It is not easily angered. It's not keeping scores of the wrongs suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so often our words betray that our love is shallow, our love is small. Thankfulness. Do you treasure gratitude in your heart for all that Christ has done for us and what He has given to us? First Thessalonians 5, 18 said, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Him then let us continually offer up a, a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to His name. And there are many, many more examples that I can go on. Uh, the good treasure is the treasure that God sees as valuable. Christ-likeness. We read earlier that He was meek and that He is uh, humble. And that He is the God of His grace and truth. That which is what God treasures is what is eternally significant. Really the souls of people. But then of course there, there is also bad treasure that we may harbor in our heart, that we may treasure. And one that I'm sure all of us struggle with is just our own sinful, selfish desires. We want what we want. Matthew 15, 19 tells us that out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. If, we are, if those are the kinds of things that flow from our lips or manifest in our works, then that is who we are inside. Perhaps it's the love for the world. 1 John 2.15 tells us, Do not love the world or the things of the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And I'm also always saddened when I read 2 Timothy 4.10, when I read of Demas, who left Paul, he left the work of ministry. Why? For he loved this present world. What was in his heart manifested in his life. Perhaps there's desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.17 tells us the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for they are in opposition to one another. And then he goes a little bit further on in that same chapter 5 of Galatians. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How do you respond? How do you, what comes out of your mouth? Reveals what's in our hearts. Perhaps it's the desire for personal greatness, selfish ambition, pride, really. God hates pride. Proverbs tells us there are six things that God hates, seven things which are an abomination to Him. Really, it means it's repulsive to Him. And the first thing listed is Haughty eyes, those who look down on others, those who think superior, they are superior to others. And the word says that he opposes the proud. He sets himself against those who are proud. And of course, selfish ambition, James warns us that where there is selfish ambition and jealousy, there is disorder in every evil thing. Philippians warns us that we should do nothing out of selfishness and or empty conceit, but with humility of mind considers others as more important than ourselves, not only to look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. And pride is so deceitful that even we can do works for Christ out of a prideful, selfish ambition. Paul talks about those who Proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition rather than from poor, pure motives in, in Philippians 1.17. Perhaps we treasure earthly riches or wealth in our hearts. Paul warns in 1 Timothy 6.9 that those who want to get rich in this life fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. Jesus said in Matthew 6.24 that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. Because you will love the one and hate the other. Perhaps you treasure sinful pleasures. Again, there are so many overlaps in these, but... This one stood out to me because here it says that they are sources of quarrels. Verbal fencing going on. Conflicts among you. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your hearts or your members? You lust and you do not have. So you commit murder. You, do not, uh, you are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. They are, again, the Bible is replete with examples of evil things that we may treasure in our hearts. So what do you treasure in your heart? What, is it good? Is it bad? What do I treasure in my heart? I mean, our hearts are so deceitful 
And so I think we need to take the counsel of the king seriously and discern where we're at. What, what are we like? And we, we, can, we can know. We can ask your husband and your wife. You can ask your friends. You can ask your grace group. It says, would you mind listening to me with the intent of discerning what comes out of my mouth? And this is not to shame you or to put you down. It is, it is so that we can come back to the Lord. And if this is who I am, Lord, change me. And even when we are saved, the Lord has changed us, but our hearts are still stained and, and deceitful. And, and we need often to be reminded that there are things that we need to put off of the old man and put on the new man. So ask them to listen. Do I speak about eternal things? Do I speak about my love for Christ, His Word, His church? Am I heavenly minded? Do I speak, proclaim the gospel to others? Am I thankful through my words? Do you hear me? complain and are discontent by so many things that I don't have instead of giving thanks to the Lord for the things that I do have. That would... What is our goals in life? What is our, what are, what is our passion? What do we speak most about? Because that can be either good or bad. Does my words or do my words reveal that I have an angry heart, that I am bitter at heart, that there may be malice in my heart, resentment, and so I turn to gossip and slander, speaking evil of others based on my perception of their motives? Listen to your own words. And when you find that there are bad treasure in your heart, bring it to the Lord. Bring it to Him. Come to you and say, Lord, I, I need to be cleansed again. I need to be detoxed. I, I've walked in this world and my feet are stained by the sins of this world. By the allurements of this world. And so the king counsels us that we should take note of who we are by the fruit that we bear. By what comes out of our mouth, whether it is from a good treasure or a Bad, evil treasure. Because he goes on and he gives us a word of warning to caution us. He says in verse 36, pardon me, 36, but I tell you. He's seeking to get our attention. 
When Jesus used those words in, in, in this parallel passage uh, to this in, in the other Gospels, they, they don't have this little phrase. In, Matthew includes it only here, but I say to you, he's, he's, he's placing emphasis on it. He says, listen, I want you to hear that. I want you to pay attention. Listen up. So let's listen. Every person who ever lived on this earth will have to give an account for every word they spoke. Whether it is a careless word, a thoughtless word, a throwaway word, an unguarded word, every word we will have to give an account to God. For man is responsible for what he thinks in his heart and what he says with his mouth and what he does with his hands. And I don't know about you, but this is very unsettling to me. This is, this is disturbing to me. Because our words, our careless words, maybe especially our careless words, our, those unguarded words, those unfiltered words that we use, those inconsiderate, indifferent words reveal our heart. This is who I am. And the Lord says that we will have to give an account for that. And that accounting is for both Christian and non-Christian. For believer and for the unbeliever. For the believer it will be before Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of judgment. Second Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's, he's addressing Christians here. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, condemnation is not going to be determined because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But however, it is our reward or lack of reward that will be determined by our words. Whether the grace that has been given to us had an effect on us. How Big an effect had it That Was that our passion, the grace that we received, Christ who is in our heart, is He our passion? Is His will and His ways our desire? Is that what occupies us? We read in, in 1 Corinthians 3 that... Um, we each, each one of us are building on the foundation that was laid, which is Christ Jesus. And, and we build with, with gold and silver and precious stones or with wood and hay and straw. But each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, 
yet so as through fire. So again, this is, a, this is a judgment that does not talk about condemnation or salvation. This is a judgment that says, what have you done with the grace I've given you? And of course, for the unbeliever, their judgment will be at the great throne, the white throne judgment of God in Revelation 20, when their words will be among the other witnesses that will be read out to them, coming from the book, or the books rather, in heaven, to bear testimony against them. And if they are not in Christ, if their names are not found in the book of life, they are already condemned. And their words and their deeds will just serve as uh, to determine the measure of their punishment in eternity. Scripture talks about the deepest, darkest pits of hell. That means there are parts of hell that are not so deep and as dark. And God knows their words. He sees their deeds. Nothing is hidden from His sight. And He will hold every person accountable for the careless words that we speak and the impact it has, the consequences it produces. And if He does that for our careless words, how much more not our severe words, our unwholesome words, our ungracious words, our angry words, our hurtful words, our harmful words. And so we need to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. And then in 1 Samuel 2, this is a, a, a prayer from Hannah. It says, There is only, sorry, there is no one holy like you, like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And with Him actions are weighed. We will have to give an account for every word we speak. And they will serve as a guide in our adjudication. He says, our words will justify us or our words will condemn us. Judgment will be in line or in conformity or in accordance to our words. Our words, it's with our mouth that we testify that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And also we, we, we confess Him to be our King. And our words will, will testify whether that confession was a fake or not. Whether it's genuine or not. Now the Bible teaches that a man is saved purely and solely by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Not of their own works. Not of their own personal merit. 
And so on that day when, when a man is judged favorably, meaning not condemned because he's in Christ, then his words and including his work, sorry, and including his words will be a witness to their faithfulness to God. And they will testify in the adjudication of reward of eternal glory. On the other hand, if the judgment is unfavorable, if someone stands condemned because they have not repented of their sin and have not believed in Jesus Christ, their works will testify in the adjudication of their punishment. Their place in the descending horrors of the deep dark pit of hell itself. And so Jesus cautions us. He warns us. He counsels us and says, take, take a good look at yourself. Examine yourself. Get others to help you because there is a time then you will have to give an account to the Lord for all that you have said. James reminds us that no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord our Father and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And these things are not to be this way. And so the Lord convicts us he certainly convicted me this week working through this text. It seems like no matter where I turn, what I look at, I'm guilty. My words reveal dark stains in my heart. Parts that somehow I have not yet or have taken back from submission to Christ. But then He comforts us. He calls us to confess that and He comforts us in Christ. He says, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wonderful about the Lord's forgiveness is that He says He will cast it behind Him and choose not to remember them anymore. And so what will your words testify about your heart before the Lord? And the wonder of forgiveness is, is once the Lord's forgiven it, it's gone. It's gone. It's dealt with. It's cleansed. And he who graciously saved us is also he who graciously sanctifies us. So that we would keep on presenting the members of our bodies not as instruments of unrighteousness, but as instruments of righteousness as to God. And so, if the Spirit of God is convicting you this morning of your words, Unkind words, malicious words, unwholesome words, gossip, slander, then bring it to the Lord. Right now, 
Don't delay. Strike the anvil while the fire is hot, while the metal is hot, and confess it and receive His grace and forgiveness. And then purpose through His power to change. That the Lord may change our hearts. That He would wash us and cleanse us. And we're going to start and come to the Lord's table in a moment. And the Lord asks us that when we come, we should come not in an unworthy manner. Meaning we have applied the blood of Christ to our lives and confess the sins and make that right before Him before we come. And so let us sing before we continue our service. If I can ask the musicians to come up.